The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, I would love for you to open it to Matthew chapter 11. Um, we've also been using the YouVersion app over the past several months. There's an event in there. So if you're really familiar with that app, just look up Westway Christian Church. You'll see all of our texts uh, for the day lined up for us in there, including the ones uh, that John just read. Um, how are you feeling? Great. Great. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I think amidst our greatness, what we observe in the world today is weariness. We see people who are tired, exhausted, and anxious. And Christ has come, according to the text that John just read to us from the book of Isaiah, Christ has come to do something. And we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean? Mean? What does that look like in our own lives? I think there are lots of reasons for weariness and anxiety. I think of the weariness and anxiety that comes from out of there. I know, like, I know we're in Western Nebraska, and some of you guys are acting like COVID has never, ever, ever existed in, in our entire lifetime. But the reality of it is, it's still here, it still weighs heavy on the lives and the souls of lots of people. The COVID pandemic has affected finances, has, it's affected employment, it's affected schools, it's affected our families. On top of that, some of the things that make us weary are the choices that other people make. And we sort of get caught up in that debris. We're caught up in their chaos. But it's not just chaos out there. It's not just weariness out there. It's weariness in our own souls a lot of us walk around with our own guilt and our own shame. We're tired and we're anxious and we're wondering, is this life ever going to be the life that we thought it was going to be? We're discouraged and we're dissatisfied. And these things leave us tired, anxious, and worried. And we hear the message of Jesus. We hear this hope, we sing the songs of it, and we believe them. But sometimes we wonder if, if it's true. Sometimes we wonder what that really means for us. And as I was really thinking and praying about what, what we needed to talk about today, and I, this shouldn't be new if, you are, if you've been with Westway for a while. On Christmas, we really don't always talk about the nativity, right? We always talk around the nativity. On Easter, we sort of talk about the resurrection, but we talk around it. And that's intentional because, because if, if you're like me, you've heard the story. You know what happens. And it can be really easy for us as people who've heard this story for it to kind of go in one ear and out the other. Even this morning, I felt that pull. When I woke up, made myself a cup of coffee, sat down on the couch and I opened my Bible to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. I turned to the end of each one of those Gospels and I read the resurrection story. And I'll, I'll just confess, like, I feel like I've heard it before. And I wonder like what that means for me when I read this story, when I'm, when I'm not caught up in the majesty of what really happened on that day about 2,000 years ago. 
Do we really know what the purpose of the resurrection was? Do we really know why Jesus came, what his purpose was? So as I've been thinking about this over the past several weeks, today we're just gonna talk about the hope of Christ in a weary world. And that has its, that has its anchor in the resurrection. That has its foundation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he's alive, we can have hope. Because he's alive, we can have hope. But the gospels also reveal other things. The gospels reveal lots of questions. And one of the questions in particular that shows up as you're reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you, if you read carefully, you'll see the question, who is Jesus being asked? It's asked by the teachers of the law. It's asked by the Pharisees. It's asked by his disciples. It's asked by the, the regular common people of Jesus's day. It's asked by his family. All of these people are asking this question, who is Jesus? But as we read through the gospels, we also will see a world that's weary. We see a people that are weary the Jewish people were wearied by a military occupation and the taxes that came along with that. The Jewish people were wearied by a religious elite who were constantly telling them what they needed to do to live their lives truly to honor God. This was very wearying. They were a people wearied by illness and demon possession. They were a people tired and they were surely weary of their own history. We just spent the last eight weeks, in fact, talking about the history of the Jewish people, how every single time, at every single moment, at every opportunity, when they had the opportunity to respond to God and be obedient to him, they frequently chose their own path. So now they were living with the consequences of generation upon generation upon generation before them. They're weary. And one of these weary people is a guy by the name of John the Baptist. And that's not his last name, by the way. One of these weary people is John the Baptist. Matthew tells us that John spent his time in the wilderness. He was wearing clothing made of camel's hair, which that enough would probably be alone to drive us crazy. He ate locusts, he ate honey. He was a preacher and he was bent on calling people to repent, to turn away from their sin and turn to God. And the reason that he was telling this was because the kingdom of God was at hand. The kingdom of God was coming. It was near. And they needed to be ready for this moment. When the people responded, he baptized them. We saw that this morning. That's what we believe here at Westway Christian Church. When you, when you come into faith, when you make a decision for Jesus Christ, one of the things we see in scripture is you are baptized. You're immersed into Christ. We believe that here at Westway Christian Church. When the religious elite came out to see John the Baptist, he cursed them, calling them a brood of vipers. John had a cousin whose name was Jesus, and John clearly believed that this Jesus was the Messiah. 
He was the bringer of this kingdom that John had spent his life telling everyone else about. And at the beginning of Matthew 11, like what does John get for all of this proclamation, for all of this preaching? What does John get for it? What's his reward? Well, in 11 chapter two, it says this. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? See, even John was wearied by the world. And he's sitting in prison. And in his mind, he's trying to understand what's happening because he had been talking about the kingdom of God. He had been talking about how God was going to deliver his people from all of these things. And here he was in prison and You just have to love Jesus' answer. It's in verse four. Go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then Jesus added something interesting. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. So I was thinking about this message that week. Why did did Jesus say that? Here's this guy who's in prison. Come on, John. Jesus, throw, throw John a bone here, right? Give him some hope. Well, what Jesus is doing is he's quoting the Isaiah text that John read a few minutes ago. See, so the the John's disciples would have understood that. When they got back to John, John would have understood that. But I wonder if you listened closely to what John said when he was reading this to us a few minutes ago. He talked about the blind in uh, in Isaiah, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the dead. But you know what Jesus didn't say to John the Baptist? He said nothing about the captives being set free or the prisoners leaving prison. I want you to imagine for a moment being John, the disciple, his disciples return and he's like, what did Jesus say? The lepers, all right, I see that. The deaf, yes, I see that. The blind, yes, I see that. The good news, yes, I hear that. Did he say anything about prisoners being free? Nothing. Nothing about prisoners being free. Who Who is Jesus? What's his purpose? What's he here for? One of the things that we, one of the conversations that we've been having at our house over the past couple weeks, we've just called it real talk. And this is what real talk looks like. Or here's what, this is what real talk didn't look like. Um, As you know, as many of you know, in November, Anne was diagnosed with cancer. So we're going through that whole process and because I don't want to burden her with any other things, I stop talking, right? I don't tell her how I'm thinking. I don't tell her how I'm feeling because I'm, I'm trying to protect her. Well, in that moment then, she too begins to kind of shut down, right? Because the person that's supposed to be talking to her and the person that she's supposed to be talking to, they're not having real communication, and a couple weeks ago, I had coffee with someone, uh, Jaime Gonzalez. Uh, you probably saw him in the coffee area today. And we sit down and he says, um, hey, how are you doing? 
So I said, well, um, these are the things going on at church right now. John, how are you doing? Well, here's what's going on with our kids. Nathan's doing this. John's doing this. Katie's doing this. Yeah, John, but how are you doing? So we start to have this conversation about real talk, and then I get home, and my wife and I actually have real talk. She says, when, you, when you're not being honest with me about what you're going through, it's really hard for us to be in a relationship together. And what Jesus is doing here, I'm telling you that story because Jesus is entering into real talk with his disciples. Jesus is entering into real talk with the people of his day who think that what Jesus is really there for is to fix all of their problems. And I would say to you that that's not what Jesus was about. The rest of Matthew 11, Jesus is talking about God's kingdom and his kingdom and those who speak for it, they're not what you think they're going to be. They're not who you think. They're not gonna talk about the things that you wish they would. Which is why on an Easter Sunday, like I kind of feel like I'm in good company. Because I, I want to talk about the things that really matter to us. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ absolutely matters. Remember, it's the anchor that we cling to. But I think there's a lot of people, and in a room this size with as many people are here and as many people are, who are watching online, there's a lot of people who are familiar with that story, but we have no idea what it means. We've heard it and we want to believe it, but it doesn't actually affect my life. In this chapter, Jesus tells all of the people that they're like children in the schoolyard, upset when no one plays their games. When God does something they don't like, they cry and they complain about it. As Pastor Mike said a few years ago, he said, Jesus did not come to pacify the religious sensibilities of his day. Here's what that means. The people thought they knew who Jesus was. They thought they had Jesus figured out. And Jesus didn't come to pacify their religious sensibilities. And I think what we have to, what we have to get to in our own lives is Jesus didn't come to pacify our religious sensibilities either. The goal of Jesus' life was not to make us happy, wealthy, and wise. Jesus came for something else. Jesus is calling the people in Matthew 11 to unload their baggage, to unload their false views of who they think that God is. And he starts with John the Baptist. I didn't come to get you out of prison, John. Don't fall away because of me. Do you see how those two things come together? Don't misunderstand why I come. And I want you to allow that to create some tension in your soul for a minute. I want you to ask yourself, it's not just a matter of, did I believe the resurrection existed, but has the resurrection changed me? Has what Jesus has done on that cross, rising from that tomb, has it made a difference in our lives? And I think that some of us really struggle with this. When our, when our lives don't go well, do we not join John the Baptist and say, is Jesus really the Messiah? Or is there someone else? 
Should I wait for someone else? So what did, did Jesus come to do in the midst of our chaos? Let's go to Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Years ago, when we were, when we were new to church, so here's the shortest possible version of my relationship, my, the history of my relationship with Jesus. Grew up going to church, left the church for a while, and then learned who Jesus was. I had all of the facts and figures if you would have asked me if I believed and intellectually assented to, to a list of doctrines, I would say yes. But I had no idea who Jesus was. So when we started to learn who Jesus was, we, went to, we started going to church. And, and I heard things like, and probably you've heard this as well, I heard things like, um, just when you come to church, just leave all of your concerns outside. Has anybody ever heard that? When you come to church, just leave your thoughts, leave your worries, leave your cares, leave your anxieties outside and just come in and experience God. I think those people absolutely had great intentions behind that statement. But in what we read in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, I couldn't be further from the truth. See, Jesus doesn't want us to leave all of our crap outside. Jesus wants us to bring our crap inside and leave it at his feet and exchange our nonsense, exchange our weariness, exchange our anxieties, our worries. Because we don't need a God who can't tolerate our crap. I need a God who can take it from me and give me something else. And I believe you need the exact same thing. You need a God who is big enough to take what you have, to take what's wrong with you. And this is who God is. And when we bring that to him, what God offers us is rest. He offers us rest from the fruit of our sin, the wear and tear on our souls from our empty pursuits of meaning and purpose. That's what God gives us rest from. He offered rest for our souls, not for our bodies. So when he tells the disciples of John, go back and tell them these things. And by the way, blessed are those by God who don't fall away on account of me. He's not necessarily interested in what our bodies are going through, but what our souls are dealing with. And what he's saying is when we take up the way of Jesus Christ, we take up the cross, we learn his humility and his gentleness. When we practice it, that's when our souls are going to find rest. When we do something with what God 
has given us. That is when we find rest. So, real talk, are you weary? Are you tired? I think many people, as I think about the world, and I even think about myself often, I think many of us live empty and hollow, self-absorbed, self-focused lives. And this allows us to be caught up in self-destructive patterns of sin. When we're only focused on ourselves. But the reality is the sooner we, we jettison and we get rid of all of our passionate desires and all of our sinful nature, the sooner we get rid of that and give it over to God, the better. I've been reading this book called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I would recommend you pick it up. In fact, there's a link to it in the YouVersion app today. You can pick this book up. But he writes this. As long as we fix our attention on our sin, we will fail to see how we can be safe. Looking inside ourselves, we can only anticipate harshness from heaven. See what God is calling us to do is he's calling us to give ourselves, to give our junk, to give our weariness to him. But that's really hard because we live in a self-absorbed world. I don't want to take my eyes off myself. And Jesus is humble and gentle at heart. He sympathizes with us. And if we were to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John today, we would see and experience a Jesus who is filled with compassion for people. He's filled with compassion for those who come to him. And our response, as we think about this gospel message, we think about the purpose of Jesus Christ, our response must be to come. But in order for us to do that, we have to have an honest understanding of who we are, right? We have to be humble. We have to go to him. And when we're self-absorbed, it's hard to be humble. When we're self-focused, it's hard to be humble. I think it's hard for us to go to Jesus because what we do is we think of every person who has ever rejected us when we have gone to them in humility when we've told them what's going on in our own lives, we just project all of that on to Jesus. Some of us don't come to Jesus because in our imaginations, we see a Jesus who puts his head in his hands and says, oh, you again? But that's not Jesus. That is not him. God blesses those who don't fall away because of him. And what I wanna ask you today is to not allow your misunderstandings of Jesus to get in the way of the rest that he offers your soul. Don't allow the hardships and the realities of this world to get in the way of the rest that he offers. In John chapter six, it's a pretty lengthy um, section of scripture. Jesus is trying to get away from the people. I know we don't normally think of Jesus like that, 
But when you read it, you'll see Jesus is trying to get away from the people. He's actually going to the other side of a lake. Well, they catch up to him and they're like, when did you get here? And Jesus says something really astounding to them. He says, you're only following me because I give you food. See, you don't want me, Jesus tells the people. You just want my stuff. And he's like, Jesus is on to them at this point. And throughout that chapter, like he just doesn't, um, he just doesn't let up. And there's this long interaction. We talk about this sometimes during communion. He calls himself the bread of life. He says, whoever wants to truly be my disciple will, will eat my flesh and drink of my blood, which sounds really weird. So if this is your first time here, we're not cannibals. But he says that. So imagine that. If you really want life, you'll eat my flesh and drink my blood. And a logical question that people would ask is, well, what does that mean? And then Jesus just says, well, it means if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have eternal life. Yeah, Jesus, but what does that mean? Like six or seven times in that text, it's, it's, it's like he just doesn't let up. Because who he's talking to are a group of people who don't want him. They just want his stuff. And he's frankly thinning the herd. And then he says this. To those who want real life, this is a paraphrase. To those who want real life, real meaning, real purpose, and real sustenance. To those who are spiritually hungry, who don't just want, me, who want my stuff, they want me. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in my will will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. See, that's the hope of Christ in a weary world. A Jesus who does not reject those who come to him for any reason. And some of us have searched and searched and searched and searched for meaning, purpose, meaning and purpose to our existence. And we continually come up empty. So we try again and then we try again and then we try again. And when we go to Jesus, he won't reject us. And he doesn't want us to fall away because of him. Don't walk away from Jesus today because you want Jesus and something else. See, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus equals everything. I'm gonna read from this book because maybe this is really hard for us to believe because we can't believe that Jesus would actually accept us. One of the things I'm learning is that when someone says something better than me, I'm just gonna trust them and read it. This is actually from um, John Bunyan. No relation to Paul. <laughs> but I'm a great sinner, you say. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I'm an old sinner, you say. But I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner, you say. 
I will in no wise cast you out, says Jesus. But I'm a backsliding sinner, you say. I will in no wise cast you out, says Jesus. I have served Satan all my days, you say. But I will in no wise cast you out, says Jesus. But I've sinned against light, you say. I will in no wise cast you out, says Jesus. But I've sinned against mercy, you say. I will in no wise cast you out, says Jesus. But I have no good thing to bring with me, you say. But I will in no wise cast you out. Fallen anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. We are factories of fresh resistances to Christ's love. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures, we tend to retain a vague sense that given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. No wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, Jesus responds. You know, most of it's sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's a perversity down inside me that's hidden from everyone. I know. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free of it anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed at others. They're against you. That I am the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. See, with Jesus, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that caused it to be necessary. What Jesus wants from us is to simply come to him, to trust him. And I know that that sounds really, really, really easy. It sounds oversimplified. There's no way it can be true. I know the things that some of you are saying in your mind right now because I said the exact same thing. But it is true. A few weeks ago, our daughter and her family were here. They have three, um, three sons. The youngest is Damien. He's a year and a half old. And one of the many times during the week, he was, he was walking down our stairs, which you know what that looks like for a one and a half year old to walk downstairs. So I see this and I went over to him and of course I held my hand out and he's holding on to me like, you know, like it's the craziest thing in the world. Like his, his little grip feels so tight. But, but here's reality. If I didn't hold his hand back, if he slipped, he was falling, right? Because his grip is not strong enough. 
What I wanna tell you today is that Jesus' grip is strong enough for you. He's the one that's holding on to you. He clings tightly to us because on our own, we will slip from his grasp. We will constantly seek out other things that we believe will give us happiness and meaning and purpose. We're weary because we've forgotten God's plan for our life. We're weary because it's easier to blame others when things go wrong. We're weary because we like to excuse our sin. We're weary because we're proud of our sin. We're weary because in our own minds, we have a far greater plan for our own lives than God. We're weary because we wanna do what seems right in our own eyes. We're weary because those who lead us constantly fall short of our expectations. We're weary because we don't want to hear, we don't wanna believe that our main problem is ourselves. We're weary because we're tired of waiting for the Messiah. We want him to return. We're weary because we've told ourselves that the salvation that Christ offers cannot be this easy. It can't be this simple. So what we do is we just start right back up at the top of that list and work down and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. The Savior who died for our sins and came back to life on the day that we are celebrating today, the resurrection, to demonstrate his victory and authority over all things, to a world that's caught up in chaos, death, and destruction, he says this, come to me and I will give you rest. My hope for you today, the simplest thing that I can ask from you for today is if you're tired of living the weary life, go to the only one who can give you rest. His name is Jesus. And you'll be blessed if you don't fall away on account of him. Let's pray. Father, you entered into a world of chaos that you did not create. What you made was perfect, good, and in our own sinfulness, in our own brokenness, we have turned it on its side. And rather than washing your hands of it, you entered into it to give us life, to give us hope, to offer us forgiveness. You entered into creation to die for your creation, to suffer for your creation. You entered into our lives to give us rest, to give us meaning, to give us purpose, to give us joy that is long-lasting. God, I pray for those who are weary this morning, who are tired, who wanna give up, who are wondering when you're gonna show up. 
I pray that they would see that you have, that you're with us, that you're for us. For those that are, that are struggling with, with real sin, that know they're sinners, that are wondering if you could even accept them. God, I pray that what they would hear this morning is the answer is yes. We cannot outsin your grace. All we have to do is come. Help us to live in that truth today. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.